Those were the three I needed. Oh my god, I couldn't think of a. I kept thinking of okay. Howard, and I'm like, not none of them are named Howard. The, the duck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that's the episode top. <laughs> oh my god, no, it's not. Howard the duck is the episode top. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm doing it. You um, can't stop me. I edit this. If you want to edit the podcast, you decide what's up top. <laughs> um, but anyway, when. Freddie Michael Krueger, Myers, Michael Myers, and Leatherface. Oh my God! Why can't I remember my okay. three boyfriends? Um, <laughs> okay, that's the episode top. Oh my God! Yeah, fuck this day, honestly. <laughs> it's a dreary day in New York, kids. I'm fucking tired. It's kind of chilly. Actually, a perfect perfect weather to marathon some horror films. So, I think that's where we come in. That's about right. Yeah, I think that's who we are. Yeah, I as think that's people, probably as... why we have a job. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. That or I'm very good at pouring whiskey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can't deny that. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember the time we watched Ring? You mean the 1998 Japanese horror film that was later made in 2002 into the American film The Ring? Starring an Australian actress? Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> That's what we're talking about today, folks. I'm Nicole. I am Topher. Yes, you are. And we're the Horror Babes, here to bring horror right to you. In whatever form you listen to it. Yeah, exactly. Like, whatever. We don't judge. We don't judge. Listen to us in the shower, like, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, you know, it's like whatever. Anyway, um, we're going to start, obviously, with who made this thing, who was in it, who did that, and then we're going to go into plot, we're going to break it down, and then we're going to do a further analysis of this film and of course we're going to talk about the american remake yeah yeah we are (laughs) we are (laughs) i don't wanna oh christ we're not signaling anything about our opinions now are we (laughs) i've never signaled anything in my life except a turn signal when i used to drive which i don't do anymore wow dangerous um no i don't drive anymore. oh i thought you said you don't use a turn <laughs> signal anymore i was like um why did you stop no because the only way i take a the only way i'm in a car now is taking a fucking ca- cab mm. well I, i'm not allowed to signal from in the back seat i i got my grandmother in trouble once because we were driving down the highway and she wasn't using her turn signal to uh change lanes on the highway and i told my mom and my mom was like, Ooh. I know, I didn't know I was telling you on fucking her. Fucking snitch. Well, it was when I was learning how to drive. And I was like, I was like, well, like, Mimi doesn't doesn't use her turn signal when she changes lanes. And my mom was like, what? And they she like had a stern conversation with her. Like, you need to use your turn signal. Sorry, y'all. We have to cancel this episode because I have to take Nicole to a doctor to get some stitches for snitching. I'm sorry. I didn't God, mean to. I just, I thought. rat. I thought it wasn't a hard rule because my grandma wasn't doing it. Christ. But, okay, anyway, Topher, who made this thing? Well, a lot of people. And actually, i that's the one page I don't have fucking pulled up, so. Okay. <laughs> it's the first section know, of our episode. <laughs> God damn it. I thought I had it pulled up and I didn't. So the direction came from Hideo Nakata, who you would also know from Dark Water, an adaptation from the actual author of the original book of this mm-hmm. uh, so two different books that the author wrote those were both inspirations for two of Hideo Nakata's most no- well-known films yeah written by Hiroshi Takahashi and Koji Suzuki we've got cinematography from Junichiro Hayashi editing from Nobuyuki Takahashi as well 
well and then a bunch of cast but we'll focus on the main ones here our protagonist miss asakawa is played by nanako matsushima miki nakatani plays my takano yuko takeuchi plays tomoko ishii Hitomisato plays Masami, her friend, who mm-hmm. is with her when she dies. Oops, spoilers. And then our favorite little adorable babe, Yoichi Asakawa, is played oh, by... Oh, he's so cute. He's so cute. Favorite part of the movie, honestly. So oh. cute. So he's played by uh, Rikia Utaka. And then the only other major role in this, really, is played by one of my favorite Japanese daddies, Hiroyuki Sanada, who plays... Uriji Takeyama. Is that her ex? That's her ex-husband, yeah. Yeah. So he was, uh, I know him from Sunshine. I knew him from Westworld. Right. When you said that, I was like, yep. That's exactly so where I hot. Him He's from. so hot. <laughs> He's, Both of them really are. She's, she's gorgeous. Like, Stunning. Reiko yeah. is like, goddamn girl, okay. Yeah. Okay. And they, they, they fit her in some very good outfits too. So many dope outfits yeah. on her. Ryuji is dressed like every 90s man across the world, apparently. And she kind of, she has kind of like a timeless style in this. Yeah. Like I didn't, everyone else in this, I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty late 90s. Um, yeah. Even though obviously in Japan, the fashion is different than it is over here. But for her, she was wearing very just like timeless pieces like that beige very trench Ryan, coat. Very, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she, she looked cute. She's cute. Big fan. All right, I guess it's time now to go into plot. Oh, I suppose we can do that. What I guess happens? that's how we do these uh, these podcasts, happens? right? So we kick off the film with two high schoolers, Masami and Tomoko, which I was laughing at last night because this is the first time I've seen the Japanese version of The Ring. Mm-hmm. And I had a good friend in college named Tomoko. Oh. And so I was laughing so much when I was watching this. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that that's a popular name in Japan, but it's very funny to me to hear like, yeah, the same name as someone who you were close to. And who looks nothing like this the, this person, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, background information. There's three Tophers in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. One being me, two being two of my very good friends. Yeah. And we all just refer to each other by the number yeah. of ourselves. Exactly. It was like that sort of thing. Yeah, I feel you. So they're hanging out, watching some baseball, doing some homework, having a nice little like cute time together. Normal just like, high school shit. You yeah. Know? But Masami is telling the story about this terrifying video that people watch and they die seven days later. And Tomoko gets so freaked out. She's like, who told you this? Was it Yuko? Was it someone else? She's like, oh, no, no, no. I just like everybody's been talking about it. It's just like a funny, like weird, stupid story from Itsu. Turns out uh, Tomoko did watch that tape with Yuko and their boyfriends at this cabin out in the in like a provincial area of Japan. Mm-hmm. And what a great opening to this film, by the way. It's really it good. It really just jumps out the gate with the like, oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's always good. It's very scream, right? Yes, yes. That's what I was going to say, actually, because it's very it's it's a very typical but effective trope where you kind of have like like, oh, the old like wives tale, except this one's kind of more current. But you're just like, oh, like if you do this, then this will happen to you. And it's like two people who don't really take it that seriously. Exactly. You know, it's just like a rumor or whatever. And so when you kind of say exactly what's going to happen in the entire movie in the first scene is like such a traditional 
trope. Yeah, but it kind of, I think it kind of started here. I'm trying to think of like ones that start off like this. And it, this is the one I can think of. This and Scream, which happened at the same, like a year or so, uh, a year and change apart from when they came out. Definitely. Definitely. But the book was written in 91. Mm-hmm. So this is all very like, I feel like this is a new trope at the time. You know what I mean? Well, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like the monkey's paw. Like where yeah, hear, that's not that's not wrong. Yeah, where you know in in the in the first on the first like page you you hear the um the warning. That's right, and nobody heeds it, and that's, that's exa- kind of yeah, what that's this true. is. That's true. So I don't yeah. know. I think it's kind of an ancient trope, but we've but we've uh, reinvented it over time. It feels fresh in this. Is all I mean to say. Yeah, yeah, of course. Cool. Yeah. So they're joking around about how Tomoko watched this really weird videotape and it's kind of very back and forth. This is a very up and down scene. Mm-hmm. But to keep it quick, Masami and Tomoko are joking around and freaking each other out. And then there's a phone call and they both freak out. Ring, ring. Yep. <laughs> and it's Tomoko's mother. Right. She's saying, just like, the baseball game's going into extra innings. Um, we'll be home late. Yeah. Oh, and actually, I guess we should backtrack and say exactly what the tale is you watch a weird video oh yes you immediately (laughs) receive a phone call that says you will die in seven days and then you die in seven days exactly with like a horrific look on your face yeah well tomoko uh, reveals that it has been seven Seven days days. to the dot since she watched this videotape and sleepover takes a turn (laughs) and not the fun kind no Definitely not the fun kind because she fucking dies, y'all. So hard. The TV like just turns. She uh, Masami goes upstairs and Tomoko is sees like the TV turns back on by itself. And then it's kind of it's kind of this cool like effect on the whole screen where it kind of goes black and white and the whole face is. Yeah, like, it's, uh, it's, it's almost exposure. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. A negative. Yeah, it's a negative. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> 90s brain. Um, remember those negatives we used to take to get developed? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so then, uh, she's, she's killed by an unseen force and the last we see of her is her making that like scream face. She's like, her face is super distorted and it's in like a negative, negative coloring. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great opening. Great. Solid opening. Very good. And then we switch to the A plot, which goes for the most of the rest of the film and is fine yeah her aunt reiko asakaba is a journalist and she is interviewing these middle schoolers about this whole story of a videotape right yeah it feels kind of like a like fluff piece a bit yeah you know what i mean like daily news sort of stuff like it'll be played for three minutes on the local station at 11 o'clock yeah, it's not a it's not a huge investigation. We think at this point, no one's taking it seriously. Yeah, but Rico goes to goes home, grabs her young son Yoichi. Oh, Yoichi! He's so precious. I love Yoichi. He's, he's laid out his mom's funeral clothes for her. He's already dressed for the funeral, and that's when we find out that she is Tomoko's aunt. Mm-hmm. And they're all at this funeral, and. Yuichi keeps going up to Tomoko's room because apparently they were very close. It feels like I, I this hurt my fucking heart because yeah. I felt I was that age difference between me and my younger cousins. Right. And so, 
you know, like if I had died, what would my little cousins have felt? And it's exactly what Yoichi is feeling here of like, oh, they played with you. They loved you. And he's in his first year of school and he's got his little backpack and he just wants to be loved by Tomoko, but she's gone. She's gone. <sighs> Sorry, I just had to take a moment for pour one out for Yoichi's childhood. Yeah. But uh, Riko finds a receipt for some undeveloped photos mm-hmm. in Tomoko's room. And is trying to take care of her father and her mother and her older sister, who are all grieving heavily. And this is the first time we see Yoichi drawn to a dead spirit sort of thing. Definitely, yeah. Which was cool, like, looking backwards, like, oh, that's what they were doing with that. Yeah, yeah. It's not incredibly clear, but yeah. Yeah. So Riku gets the photos developed. And it's weird because all the faces in the photos are blurred. Mm-hmm. But she does. She's a good journalist, so she sees that there is a cabin there, and she sees where they were, and she talks to some of these high school girls who knew her uh, niece, and's like, "Oh, well, where were they?" And they're like, "Oh, they were over in Itsu," mm-hmm. which keeps coming up. So she heads out, investigates the cabin they were staying at, is looking for this videotape that they may have watched, and meets the kind of creepy like inkeep sort of thing right right which again is just one of those it's it's like par for the course for any of these movies like someone that's going to give you the totem of the entire movie yeah. is always going to kind of be whether whether that totem is like a nugget of information like i i think it's just because we just covered this but i'm thinking of like everyone that they talked to in the Blair Witch project or I mean, with with the exception of like the blonde lady with the child, she but she was actually put in later, like we talked about in that episode. But yeah, it's always just going to be someone who like is off putting yeah. at the very least, if not like outwardly creepy. It's just a little bit off putting of like they've seen some shit and they've gone a little I, whether they're isolated or they've you know seen some shit for a while. Then 100%. they they're always at least a little bit off. So it's it it feeds in perfectly to just like. You know, everyone clenching their butthole while watching this. <laughs> and there's one line in particular that he says, he's like, oh, you're staying here alone? And I think it might have just been the subtitles. It could have you been, know, yeah. That like, that too. We are watching a translated um, version of this film, obviously. Yeah. So it, some things get lost in translation or they, you know, or they're just, they mean something a little bit different. Right. But it... If, if that was what was said, it was also perfect. Oh, you're staying alone? Like, that's also like, the off-putting ugh, question. Ugh. Yeah. Exactly. It's like that urban legend of the woman who goes to, she's like driving through the middle of the night and she stops to stay at a motel. Mm-hmm. And the guy asks if she's traveling alone and she says yes. And she kind of, she walks in and the, the place is so fucking gross and disgusting that she just sleeps in her car. Yep. And then she sees the guy, the, the manager of the motel going to unlock her door where she would have been staying if she had stayed in the room in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and then call someone's like, Hey, can you look up the number for XYZ motel? And they go, that motel has been closed for six months. Oh, so spooky. Same energy is what Same I'm trying energy. to say. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, right. That's the, right. I had also just reread that urban legend the other day. It just popped so up on fresh. Reddit somewhere. Yeah. So yeah. it was very much in my mind of like, Oh no, no. not knowing where this was going to go. Right. This would be my first time yeah. seeing this version yeah. of the film. Anyway, she does find the tape. Our off-putting character gives it to her. Turns out he's just sort of like a bumbling kind of guy, not creepy. Yeah, at all. he's not. Yeah. He's harmless, but <laughs> so, he does give her 
like I said, the totem of the of the movie. Exactly. For lack yeah. of a better word, they're probably... no. I think it's a great word for it. Okay, I wasn't sure, but no, very no. Like Inception used that word for a reason. You're using it for a reason. It's great. I love it. Cool. Um, I'm here for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. At least someone I'm is. doing the absolute least here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the so the tape is definitely weird. Yeah, obvious. Like. Of course it is. It's a series of just like creepy, kind of disturbing images. It's yeah. like it's like a weird home video type thing, but in a very like grayish blue wash. Yeah, I would call it theater of the unsettling, right? Yeah, I this would, is kind of I would say that, yeah. which is a a thing that we now do in the rest of the world, but I believe originated in Japan, where like uh, I'm thinking of like time lapse footage of like cakes decaying. And like, oh, yeah, that sort of stuff like this, these are like dolls melting in microwaves, that sort of stuff, if I remember right, came from the Japanese horror community. Yeah, this is very much in that vein. I've seen a lot of versions of it. The Spaniards have done it very, very well. Um, There's a few Americans who have done it really well of these just sort of nonlinear, like no, no story. Right. And that's the whole point is that it's like, oh, story itself is comforting. So yeah, when you remove story is, and you just show yeah. decay. Yeah, because we've got like, we've got like... An eventual character in the film. We see her in the mirror brushing he, her hair. Yeah, so we see her, we see her just like brushing her hair, kind of looking in the mirror and then like looking away, kind of. It's a very sterile expression yeah. on her face. And then we've got um, imagery of the well. Yes. Which you pointed out is what they mean by the ring. Right. And and I also I also thought that it meant, you know, that it's a cycle. You watch this video seven days. We'll get into that, but you're yeah. more right about it than I am. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You've you've done some research. Me? Um, never. Never. No. I'm not a fucking nerd. I am an unread woman. I and- can't read. <laughs> what up? My name's Topher. I'm thirty. I don't know how to fucking read. I'm illiterate. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm a Christian illiterate. Wow. Vine and 30 Rock in the same minute. Wow, wow. We're good. We are comedy masters. Look at that. But yeah, there's all these sorts of weird images. There's a fly. We also see a woman in a white sort of shift. I'm going to keep using oh, that word now. Shift, now that we know it. Once again, thank you, Ralph Ineson. And I hope you're still listening. We love you, Ralph Ineson. We really do. Uh, but she's got long black hair that covers her face. And it's a feminine figure, but not feminized if that makes sense yeah there's also a man with a towel on his head pointing at something there's a shot of the ocean but it's all this sort of random imagery that makes you feel very unsettled hence the theater of the unsettling which reminds me the the opening shot of this is like this gorgeous ocean at night so it just looks like a sea of black and like waves are crashing it's really cool it's such a great opening shot it really is it really is that just reminded me of that Um, no 100 because that's it is literally part of the the video she watches yeah. So I guess back at the back at the plot. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> at the end of it, she sees like a like a reflection or something. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, in the TV screen. And then receives a phone call uh, with like screeching and like a fly buzzing. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of static, but a little bit more specific. And then she's like, "Oh fuck, fuck that!" Because <laughs> she already knows the story, so she's, she's like, like, "No, well, no, 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 thank I got you." Seven days to live. Seven days to live. <laughs> what are we going to do now to break this curse? She's got to... got seven days to save the world. She's got to put her... She's got to put her good in, investigative journalist... 
panties on and get out there and solve this mystery and break this curse find this lady who's in this in this freaky video and not die yeah that's her goal that's that's literally it it's such good there are really good stakes in this movie oh definitely she's she's got seven days until she's gonna die like it immediately sets you up just for like oh my god (laughs) there is a lot of we talked about this and we'll talk about it more later but the tragedy of this movie outweighs its horror in such a beautiful way. Yeah, I think I, I turned to you last night when we were watching it, like in the middle, and I was like, this movie is, it, like the premise is very scary, but more so it's just heartbreaking. She's yeah, got this that's adorable, she's got this adorable child and who they, they love each other so much and now she knows that she only probably has seven days to live so yeah the stakes are super high but if it doesn't go her way it's heartbreaking so Mm -hmm. this entire time you're you're feeling terror but you're also feeling like oh this family's just going to be even more uh torn apart because then she enlists her ex-husband who's a college professor and this shot is one of my favorites Mm -hmm. because i wanted to bring up the fact that she is a single mother yeah her ex-husband is not involved at all all with their child because we see so to paint the scene right he lives with her he yeah yeah so it's pouring rain Mm -hmm. heavy heavy rain and here's little yuichi with his little umbrella i love him and his little backpack and his little school uniform walking uh to school and there's ryuji and this is how we're introduced to him Mm -hmm. and he sees the child and the child sees him and they just sort of have like a sort of stiff but polite hello mm-hmm. and then pass each other oh yeah it's this it for reasons i'm not going to bring up on the episode it it broke my fucking heart for sure watching that scene for sure and yeah man it, it it's really it was really hard for me to watch it's another reason why this this movie is honestly more heartbreaking than it is scary and it's and it's scary so that's saying something yeah so so this is where we meet riruji uh, we find out that he is, in fact, Yuichi's father and uh, Rico's ex-husband. But she trusts him enough to bring him in on whatever's happening. Mm-hmm. So she gives him the sort of rundown of what happened. She's clearly panicked as fuck. Well, and I think the reason why he was the one she chose was that if she does die in seven days, he has to step up. I think that's exactly right. I, I think there, it's, there's there's more of a psychological thing where she's just like, I... Because we don't know. We don't know about her personal family We other than her, her aunt and everything. Or we, she's we, we the know her sister of, and yeah. her dad is but really she, all we need. But with, with all of the death that has surrounded them, I doubt she wants to burden them with... Um, I would agree. You yeah. know, like, can you take care of my kid after I die? Like, no, it's 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 the, her ex-husband's Should step the fuck up and uh, be a dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Um, <laughs> Good to know that that's cross-cultural. Oh, yeah, it for sure is. But yeah, so I think that's also why he's the one who comes into play. Yeah, but she shows him the videotape, which mm-hmm. is not the best decision if you want him to take care of your <laughs> shared son. That's what I'm saying. After. Why did... Well, that's we when... find out why she wants him on this afterwards, Right, but it's not immediately revealed. At right. least not in the in at least not in the uh, subtitled version. It's not clear. Yeah, with her showing showing it to him, I'm kind of like, well, maybe my maybe my idea of him stepping up as a dad unravels <laughs> a little bit. Like, I, I think it's know. more that like he will feel the stakes. I think you're still right 
But it's yeah. that he'll be like, oh, no, now I have to save both of us because if we don't. That's true. That's orphan true. child, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So we find out that, yeah, he's a college professor. He's like, oh, Yoichi's in school now, which shows just how connected he is to his son. <laughs> God, yeah. But Reiko has him take a photo of her with the Polaroid. Mm-hmm. And she's terrified of having her photo taken. He does. And her face is blurred mm-hmm. in the photo. And he's confused and says something about sort of like, huh, your camera's broken. No, it ain't. (laughs) (laughs) It ain't that. (laughs) There's fucking ghosts, bitch. Yeah. So he then watches the video. She steps outside. He comes out and goes, okay, so now I'm supposed to get a phone call. Mm Mm-hmm. And no phone call comes. So they try to figure out the mystery a little bit more. They uh, keep investigating. They're trying all these different leads. We find out that he's probably fucking one of his students who looks really young. Oh, yeah. I I pushed that. Yeah, I tried to bury that in the vault like Finn, but I couldn't do it. (laughs) It's not cute. Yeah. Because they they focus on that. Like in terms of the videography, they they focus on her and her interactions and like the very playful way where she uh, erases the plus sign and makes it into a minus sign. Yeah. Because he's a math professor. Mm Mm-hmm. Oi. Yeah. So um, he has a copy of the tape. Right. And um, while studying that tape, uh, they find kind of a, like a hidden message with a voice speaking the words, frolic and brine goblins be thine. Yes. And the dialect is from Itsu. Well, and spe- specifically Oshima Island. So right. Itsu, the Itsu region, yeah, is outside. It's sort of a rural region outside of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But there's an uh, Japan is just all volcanoes, which also like yes, it makes it maybe dangerous, but like also really pretty. Like yes, the scenes where they're kind of driving <laughs> through, I'm just like, oh my god! Oh god! All of the scenery in this is just beautiful. Very pretty. So yeah, they um he finally says like, okay, I'm gonna go investigate. Mm-hmm. You stay with Yoichi because you've only got a few days left. You should spend it with him. I'll oh. try and figure this out. So heartbreaking. So Reiko takes Yoichi out to the country to her father's place or her yeah. parents' place. Mm-hmm. And there's this, oh my God, I keep crying about Yoichi. He's so cute. He's stupid cute. And she's like, oh yeah, dad, he wanted to go fishing with you. And they're out in the river, fishing in the river, and they can't catch any fish. And Yoichi's like, to his granddad, is like, you're not very good at this. It's so (laughs) cute. He's such a sassy little baby. I love him. So they're hanging out and sleeping at her parents' place. And Rico has a nightmare in the middle of the night where she hears Tomoko, her niece, Mm -hmm. who died at the top of the film, talking to her and sees her sleeping in the mat across from her where Yoichi had been when she put him to bed. Mm-hmm. And she walks out and finds Yoichi watching the tape. No! Which I'm like, this filmmakers, the, oh. I trusted you. I made the mistake <laughs> of trusting you with my emotions here. I My heart sank so low. To the bottom of my ass. Yeah, when I saw that, I was just like, no. Fuck you, Hideo. I made Fuck a you, mistake. Hideo. I hate it. Um, oh my god that scene is the worst one in the whole film there's a lot of like really hard to watch emotional scenes in this movie but that's really hard and then we see i i mean jesus sorry i'm just still reeling (laughs) well it's like we thought we thought the stakes were high 
And they, they just tripled. Yeah. <laughs> the sweet, would, precious, precocious baby. I did not see it coming. And that ruined me. But yeah, she asks him, did you bring this here? And he says, yes. And guess who told him to? Tomo-chan. Oh, my God. And so that's kind of an interesting, like, part of this film is, again, the paranormal. Yeah. They really didn't shy away from the paranormal parts of this. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. I like the leaning into it. So now we're doing a little more research. They they sail to Oshima Oshima Island and discover the history of Shizuku... Shizuko? Shizuko Yamamura. Yes. Shizuko Yamamura. A local woman known for her psychic powers. Yeah, just like the local psychic. Yeah. I you mean, know, every, yeah. every town's got one. Once again, I'll uh, I'll talk about this more later. There's a actual real history that it's really cool. But Awesome. Can't wait. So they stay at an inn run by Shizuko's brother. Yeah, Takashi, yeah. Yeah. And uh, not six nine the rat, right, right, right. Um, Speaking of snitches, so we find out that the old the old man exposes Shizuko to the media, hoping to make money off of her. There's this like kind of flashback, whole big scene about it, yeah, um, which is kind of interesting. Of like the media kind of goes crazy, and then we learn that like. She can basically will people to die through the psychic powers. Well, her daughter can, yeah. Her daughter can, yeah. yeah. So yeah, this is where we also get the reveal that uh, Ryuji is psychic. Yeah. And can feel and see people's memories by touching them. And actually even by like being in proximity to them, but they get stronger when you can actually touch the person. So we'd had this little like weird dinner scene with him and Reiko where he says he's not normal. Yeah. And, you know, looking backwards, it's like, oh, this all makes sense. But was a total left fielder when it comes out <laughs> that he can actually, because he says to Takashi, he's like, I have similar powers myself. Yeah. I can psychokinetically kill people. Right. When he's like, I can touch people and hold them and be like, oh, I know your whole history. And it turns out that also Reiko can, like, it has a, I guess, a radius because Reiko ends up inside the memory and gets grabbed by Sadako. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, while they're, he sees the memory Those of a... Uh, fingernails, baby. Oh, so nasty. Honey. Great makeup work, but so nasty. They look like mine, honestly. Mine are... More like mine. Mine are chewed <laughs> up. Working in a bar is not good for your fingernails, it turns out. Neither is anxiety. So, anyway. <laughs> Um, you double down, it's like, yeah, it looks like I tried to climb out of a well. Exactly. So we get a whole lot of exposition here, but basically what it turns out is that, yes, Shizuko was actually psychic, and yes, she had a daughter with this doctor who has been who was uh, basically uh, shamed and scandaled out of the world. And yes. Shizuko kills herself by... I think by jumping into the volcano, I think that's what they said. Yeah. But during this sort of uh, into the past brain walk, we'll call it, Reiko gets grabbed by Sadako and has a dark bruise on her wrist. Oh my God, Sadako, you crazy, crazy biatch. Um, (laughs) So then we learn that um, this tape was created to express 
her fury against the world, which I'm like, go off, queen. Yeah. What? Fair enough. Fair enough. Your father and uncle (laughs) fucked over your mother. Like, hell yeah. Yeah. I would have a lot of rage too. Pissed. She's pissed. I would, I wouldn't be surprised if after this year, someone feels the same and makes a tape. So watch Already. it out. 2020, yikes. I'm predicting a 2021 ring resurgence, but IRL. IRL. <laughs> spooky. So spooky. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? Create a curse tape to express your fury against the world. Go off queen. Like, yeah. you're pissed. I think Sadako's the hero of this film. Except she does kill a lot of people. A lot of people a who lot are of completely people. Probably, innocent. I don't condone that. <laughs> I don't condone that at all. But you know what? I don't know. Maybe she should have turned to music. I'm not sure. There probably were healthier ways to express her fury. Lucy Dacus exists. So does Mitski. Yeah. You know? Garbage. Yeah. Not that they're garbage. I mean, Shirley Manson garbage. I know. La Tigra. Yeah. There, there are so many options. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they end up. They find the well. Yeah. So they, they have yeah. this like. Ru- that now the stakes keep getting higher and higher because the clock is running out. The clock is motherfucking ticking. And there's a giant like tsunami or some sort of tropical storm rolling in on of the coast. Of course there is. You know what I mean? Let's just add it to the mood. Yeah, let's just let's just like pilot <laughs> the fuck the tone on. for death. <laughs> so Takashi is they can't find a boat to get back to the mainland. Yeah. And Takashi's like, "You know what? Fuck it. Here's my redemption moment. I'm taking y'all." It's wild. So they roll over to the mainland. They're Bust an ass to Itsu again, and they stop at the hardware store, get all of their necessary equipment, which includes a giant crowbar, a bunch of fucking ropes, some buckets, and a shovel. We love a <laughs> hardware store moment in a horror film. It's like, what are you going to do with that? Something. Like, I can't wait. Something. It's very wait. Evil Dead, right? Like It is. Like, it is. Uh, Ryuji coming out of the hardware store with all, just strapped with these tools yeah. feels very Ash Williams, you know? It really does. I... I, I love I love that mo I love that moment in, yeah. in horror films. Like let's make some Molotovs. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know what? In real life right now, because there's federal agents killing and capturing people in Portland and across the United States, so maybe learn how to make a Molotov cocktail. I can't technically say that on a podcast because that's technically sedition, but I might edit this out, I might not. Woo. And so <laughs> They, they try to find Sarako's um, corpse in an attempt to appease her spirit. Right. Which, that never works. Well, you know, it. this is also another classic trope that I love is... For sure. You think that if the ghost, you, right? Yeah. Like, find the body, give it a proper burial, right? Yeah, but that's the reason why there are always sequels. Yes. Like, it could, there could easily be Sarako's uh, revenge or return, yes. return of Sarako or yeah. something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Sarako fucks all y'all shits up. Part two. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I, I think it's a temporary fix. I think, I think you, she's going to get pissed again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. She was an unhappy, unwell child. Yeah. So during all of this, we found out, uh, we do find out that her father, uh, Dr. Izua, kills her. Yeah. Bludgeoning her on the head and knocking her down a well and then covering the well up. What a bastard. What a piece of shit. So as Ryuji is going down in the well, we see Sadako's fingernails in the walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, what is it about teeth and fingernails in horror films that are just so common and just always so scary? It's just a viscerality. Never, like having yeah. had both taken out of my face and fingers. 
You have fingernails in your face? Yeah. I'm a freak, baby. Ooh. Call me Dr. Xavier. I'm ready for the X-Men. Oh, hell yeah. Um, no, but I've had teeth knocked out and I've had fingernails ripped out. That's and true. It's, it's that's, a viscerality. Yeah. It's something that a lot of people have had, you know? And and they're two things that like rot and get nasty. Exactly. So I get it. Um, and it's it's so stark, too. I think the whiteness and the redness of both. That's true. You know what I mean? Like a white tooth or like a like a pale fingernail with bright red blood all over it and just direct. does something. They're also direct um, accessories to two of our main senses. Exactly. So I get it. And on top of that, you also have, I think, they're also both things that run deeper than you think they do. That's true. They both have roots. And they're moments of desperation. Like you don't lose a tooth or a fingernail in a casual moment. True. Good point. Very good point. So I think that's really what they speak to a lot of times is that yeah. like losing a tooth is like a moment of like a fight or something like that. Yeah. Um, and losing fingernails is like being, dr- it's always comes like with being dragged. You're trying to like scrape your way out of something. Out of yeah. Something. yeah. Your fingernails don't come into play because we are not clawed predators. Or in like the Saw movies where yeah. they like slowly rip the fingernails uh-huh. off. Ugh. Yeah, okay. Sorry. My stomach's turned. Yeah. So anyway, they're desperately trying to get this water out so they can find Zadiko's corpse. Which they're going so slow, guys. They're like... In in Reiko's defense, she is skinny as a fucking rail. Well, it's just really funny because I was like, that's going to take you forever. When she pulled out that bucket, I yeah. was like... Was Y'all needed like, at least three people for this job. You went to the hardware store. Can you get like a vacuum? like suck that water out i don't know no no that's so nasty there's so much body okay so background yesterday i pulled two dead rats out of my friend's window which is a garden level apartment and has so much water in the well where his window goes and i did that right before watching this movie so all i could think of when we they during the scene is just like oh that's just all maggots down there that's all just that's like true. bloated body water and it's been 50 years since she died yeah it 40 probably years only since she had died been, whatever it was it probably only had been 50 hours since that rat died down there yeah and it was already nasty was, that wa- yeah. the water i was pulling those rats out of was black with their guts and so i'm just trying to say no thank you on siphoning the water out of that i have siphoned gas and it's already bad enough I'm not doing that. Well, it's also it's it's it was really funny though because her ex husband is like pretending like he's doing all this work and he's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> like exhausted and stuff and and I was like I was like bro she's literally like down there like what was it I said last night leave it to a man to act like he's doing the most when he's doing the least right he's like oh, <laughs> oh so exhausted and, and I she- get that like he is he is psychic so he's feeling the psychic energy of this like moment sure in time but also she is this like beanpole of a human having to haul water up out of a deep well <laughs> like yeah, all you did was got- climb down homie <laughs> it was yeah it was funny go faster i can't I, it's been hours i'm exhausted they I did that for four well. hours by the way Ooh. i looked at her watch her watch says three o'clock when she uh checks it the first time yeah so she was hauling water for almost four hours before he says like Oh no, you're exhausted. I'll come up. It's okay. Well, and then literally like minutes before her time runs out, 
we get Sadako's body. Yeah, so she's searching bottom. around. Yeah, so she's like, got of course, her arms we're like down deep. to the wire. We're down yeah. to the wire, and like the bruise disappears, and like all of this stuff, and we think like maybe the curse has been broken. But there's, we all all, know. I just want to talk about the shot real quick. Oh yeah, and the creature feature makeup here. Creature feature. <laughs> so she's searching around for Sadako's body, just desperately trying to find any remains that she can. Trying to appease this ghost. And she comes up with this wad of black hair. Oh, God. Yeah. I remember I like screamed like, is that hair? (laughs) Oh. And then she searches around and she pulls up more and she finally pulls up this whole corpse. And it's just the wad of black hair at first. And then she parts it from the middle of the skull down the sides. And the eye, it's just bones. And the eyes are just oozing (laughs) as Nicole chugs from a bottle of whiskey. Because that's the exact right reaction to that moment. But yeah, the eyes are just goozing that goop. Goozing that goop? Yeah. Goozing that goop. Goozing that goop. Wait for Nicole's new trap album. It's going to be terrible. Yeah, it sounds really <laughs> nasty. I'm, I, I'll never live up to WAP. Like, I'm not None trying to either. None of us I'm will. not trying to. I love that song. Um, Anaconda Who? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I... I'll, su- I'll support all of it. I I love it. Fair, any- fair. No I comparisons. Love- let's just put them all on the, let's put all those pussies on a pedestal. I love a song about consensual sex and that's all I'm going to say about Big it. Big mood. <laughs> Same. So, no, Reiko gets out yeah. of the well. Ryuji's like, it's 710. It's past the time. You survived. It's amazing. And then there's cops and ambulances and yada, yada, yada. They go home. Everything's fine. Who called the cops? Somebody. Also, don't call the cops. It's just so... That's another thing. At the end of every, like, horror film, when, like, it's out in the middle of fucking nowhere, somehow at the very, 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 very end, like, cops and ambulances and fire trucks show up, and you're like, who called y'all? We're in the middle of nowhere (laughs) with two protagonists that we... Have been watching the whole time. Yeah. Who the fuck called you? There is at least a cut. I give them that. At least there's a cut. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of more so talking about like just other films. Yeah. Where also, I'm just like, who called you? But also, once again, they're useless in this film. What the fuck do they do? Nothing. A journalist and a math professor figure this out and the cops never even fucking bothered. Also, the official stance of horror babes is A-C-A-B. So. Now we're in the next day. And Reiko's having a great time. She's like, oh, I'm so happy. I mean, yeah, okay. she's like, I fucking survived this deadly yeah, new curse. lease on life. And Ryuji's trying to finish up his deadline. There's this really cute line between the two of them. He's like, you go home, get some rest. I've got to meet a deadline. And he gives that smirk. Mm-hmm. God, sorry. He's so handsome. Um, <laughs> he's so handsome. So he's it's early morning he's working on this essay he's writing some cool like math shit and he gets that moment with the chalkboard where he sees that his pyt that he's been maybe maybe not stopping pyt yes has changed it and he laughs and he thinks it's himself and he goes oh you idiot Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. and suddenly the tv's on and (sighs) sadako crawls out of the well and sadako crawls out of the tv I told y'all. Vengeful, vengeful ghost. And this time she crawls out of the motherfucking TV, giving us one of the most iconic horror visuals ever. I'm thinking, yeah, it's what Halloween with 
the person stabbed through their gut against the wall, right? So I'm saying it There's is an that, iconic moment. The suicide in the omen. Mm-hmm. The reveal in Rosemary's baby of the baby. Oh, God. <laughs> I always have like an immediate like vision of that. I'm just like, ew. <laughs> I'm trying to think of uh, there's a couple others. Uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the cha- with Leatherface chasing them with the chainsaw and like smashing it against the road and letting the sparks sparks fly. About 10 visuals in The Shining. Yeah. Like I I, I would say prob- Blood Elevator probably the most. Yeah, but then Maybe there's dog also blowjob. there's also um um here's Johnny. Yeah, yeah, there's also yeah, there's Shelley like, Duvall. There's like 10 of them. Yeah, honestly. Shining has most of the classics. The final shot of the thing. Yeah. I'm trying to think of one in Alien, actually. Oh, Chestburster in yes, Alien. Yes, I was about to say, yeah. But I would put this up there with all of those, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think this iconic. is 100% one of the most iconic. And oh, and speaking of Japanese film, the hand on the back of the head in The Grudge. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I like Eventually, we will that. cover Juon, but I have to watch it again, and I don't want to watch it again because I don't sleep for a couple days after I watch it. Very scary. <laughs> God, sorry. I'm just lost in the grudge right now. So he dies. So hard. (laughs) Dies harder than Alan Rickman in Die Hard. Yes. He dies the hardest. Um, With a freaked out elastic face scream. Yeah. And our... um, our poor girl here. Oh, we get the negative shot of here again, too. We do. We do. It comes back. So homegirl hears um, his terrifying last minutes over the phone and realizes, like, I'm the only one free from the curse. And then we remember, oh, shit, Yoichi. Yep. So she's freaking out trying to figure out what happened, right? Like, what it, she keeps repeating, what did I do different that you didn't do? We watched the same tape. What did I do different that you didn't do? And she sees oh. Luigi's ghost with the towel over his head, just like in the video, pointing just like in the video at her purse. And that's when she finds the copy. It's because she spread the news. Yep. She's on Sarako's side in certain respects. It's a, it's not an enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of thing, but it's like... I don't know. It's uh, it's hard to s- call this what it is, but it's it's basically those chain emails back in the day, right? Oh Send my this god! Send to ten people, or, or you'll, you'll die. die at midnight tonight. Yep. Yeah. So, or even better, send this to ten people. Your crush will hate you forever. No, I'll die. Not Emily. <laughs> so. This is why she said no. <laughs> this is why she just wanted <laughs> Yes. So, oh God, the odds were weird. Weird. So she just like grabs her shit, runs to her car and is booking it out back to her granddad's house or to her dad's house to pick up her son ostensibly. But she calls her father and says, hey, dad, I have a favor to ask. It's for Yoichi. Yeah. And that's when the credits go, and we get this bomb fucking '90s techno song to end it. It is club we as do, fuck. I'm do. dropping ecstasy. I've got a mesh shirt on. I'm dancing. It made me, it made me laugh. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, this is so out of place for, for like so many great horror movie ending themes. I was like, okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> like I'm thinking like um, us. Us's in theme is so good with those like vocals. Yeah. Or Rosemary's Baby with the sort of weird chanting. And this is just like fucking dance your ass off, baby. The world could end tomorrow. You could see a weird video and die in a week. It's true. It's true. So yeah. And that's that's the end of the movie. That is exactly how um, it ends. Yeah, so this this movie is definitely, in my opinion, better than the American remake. It's still Oh my god, by leaps leagues and miles and leaps and bounds. Yeah, it's still a little slow for my taste. Yeah, but we cut a half of that movie out. Yeah, it's 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 a slow burn, but and like I said, I would say that it's more heartbreaking than scary. But yeah, it's on the track. We just talked about this with Pet Cemetery that it is yeah. the tragedy is more present than the horror. And the original author has been compared to Stephen King, which makes sense. I would, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that comparison for sure. I guess I'll start and say what I think is probably the most interesting thing about this movie is the the play on because the point of when you make a horror film or a horror story or anything like that is you're playing on some sort of fear um, that the viewer has. And something that always makes us feel safe is telling yourself it's just a movie. It's just a movie. Yeah, it's, it's just a movie. Oh, wow, it's, I hadn't even thought about the the meta narrative of this. I'm oh, so yeah, excited to hear you talk about this. Please go in. There's it's it's very meta when I was like thinking about it. So it's playing on this fear that it like it's not just a movie, especially in the end when we get the iconic scene of her coming out of the screen. That glass is not saving you anymore. Yeah, it's that, not a hard membrane anymore. It's semi permeable. Yeah, Oof. she Sadako is just like bitch. I'm coming out <laughs> and just like you know fuck you up so we can't really hide behind that anymore and i think that yeah you can still say like this is this is just a movie this is just a movie but when it kind of breaks that fourth wall and that fourth wall is the glass screen that's keeping you protected it's scary and that's that's what leads us to the scariest part of the whole movie and what's interesting is that horror films will always have to adapt to the technology that is being created. Definitely. Um, Horror has been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, You can go back even before Edgar Allan Poe. dawn of humanity. I mean, Mary Shelley is the one who created what we now call the horror genre. Yeah. But this shit has existed since humans have existed. Exactly. Exactly. So we love everyone's told everyone's told, um, you know, uh, stories by the campfire. Right. All you need from mammoth leg to vegan hot dogs. Exactly. It's been it's been campfire stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Horror has had to adapt and will continue to have to adapt to the new technologies. Like I've talked about this before, you can't, unless you're doing kind of like a period piece, you can't just omit cell phones. Yeah, um, they, are and they a have part, them in this film too. Yeah, they're a part of um, our life. So um, they have to work around that. There's uh, there's obviously been a lot of play on, you know, like losing cell service or losing battery and Death. being in the middle of nowhere or, you know, like just phones dying. Um, that's a way that people have worked around it. But this is a good um, idea where someone used a piece of technology to their advantage. Yeah. They said, what if what's on the other side of this came to life and you, you know, 
had no idea. As as someone who who really likes to who's obviously a big fan of horror, like you? think if right, me? No. Think if think if you just went to your local blockbuster and and you were like, Oh, I've never heard of this one before. This wasn't in theaters, blah blah blah, but like it looks pretty dope. And then you rent this VHS. We're back in the nineties, folks. Um, you rent this VHS and you watch it, and then all of a sudden you're cursed and you die in seven days. You know what I mean? This, like it kind yeah. of it kind of just God. It really plays on um, the human experience, but adds in adds in like a paranormal aspect beautifully. And yeah. that's what I like about this film a lot. I think that's awesome. And it, I agree with you that like this is such a beautiful use of relatively modern technology at the time. Exactly. Fucking with you. Mm-hmm. You can't even trust the things you would use to help you. Not, not that you would use a VCR to help you unless you're like chucking it at Michael Myers head. Yeah. But the those idea, things are heavy. Yeah. Oh, I remember. <laughs> Them shits is heavy. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love that, that it is. And because that's what a lot of critics said at the time, too. They're like, oh, this is Japan's like struggle with modernity. Mm. So the most recent iteration of the story was called Sadako 3D. Came out, I think, last year. Oh, shit. Or like within the last couple of years. Oh, of course they capitalized on that. Yeah. That's so, smart. Right? So the premise of that one is that she's <laughs> now on the internet. Oh, tight. So it's a YouTube video now. The only 3D thing that I want for someone to come out of the screen is occasionally when I'm watching porn. That's it. <laughs> we can... <laughs> We can just, we can move on. We can move on. What do you think about this movie? A lot of things. So, like I said, we cut out at least half the movie in the analysis, which we do anyway, but the reason we cut out a lot of it, and we even mentioned a lot of it, is that it's kind of fucking boring. And I mean that in the nicest way. We we have talked on this podcast, mostly I have talked on this podcast, about how I hate people pretending that a movie is a horror movie when it's not. And what is wild to me is that this is still rated as one of the scariest Japanese films of all time. Hmm. And I would completely disagree. The parts of it that are scary, super fucking scary. It Two would thirds not, of the movie are not. It would not be scary if we, and this is so weird that I'm saying this. Um, I so, Like I'm just going to drop dead or something. But like, it's good that we see the monster in this. It really is. It's it the only scary part yeah. is seeing the monster. And how many times have I said like not seeing the monster in so many films has has added to the film. And sometimes um, it's a it's a failure when when films do show it because it takes away from the whole experience. Yeah, but I mean, in this one, it's the only scary thing. You had me stick and poke a tattoo on your arm that says never show me the monster. It took <laughs> hours. Oh, that would be cool, actually. Well, it is cool because you actually got it done. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> but I think you're right that like seeing the monster is what makes this scary. And so one of my biggest critiques of the American remake with uh, Naomi Watts and one of my favorites, Brian Cox. Mm-hmm. I love Brian Cox. I would die for Brian Cox. But that movie's not scary into the last like 15 minutes at most. It's not a horror movie into the last 15 minutes at most. And this is just like we talked about with Exorcism of Emily Rose. I knew that was going to come up because that one is like a court drama with interstitials of horror. Yeah, and this get, one has it. It's a little more integrated in this one, but not by much. Yeah. And what I do love about this. So I'm going to go into like a little feminist theory thing here. And what I should have said on our Emily Rose podcast 
or like on our episode, right? Mm-hmm. It's wonderful that we get to see a woman do her job, that we know so much about this woman. That is That's amazing. True. 1998, That's true. and we're doing that? It should have been way earlier. It should have always existed, yada, yada. Like, I'm not trying to dismiss that with the yada, yada. I'm just saying, like, it always should have been the case. No, But the true. fact that in the 90s, we have a woman doing her fucking job, and we know everything about her. We know who her family is. We know what she likes. We know what she does for a living. We know she's good at it. She is the boss of several men. Like, yeah. there's a lot of really dope feminist things here. No, and you're definitely right. And she's hot, but she's never sexualized. She's no. um she's a strong single mother too. We kind of yeah. show like the dad sucks. Yeah, he's and a piece of shit. Very, <laughs> that's very apparent that that's the opinion of the film. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great point. And I think about that with like Laura. This is what I should have said in the Emily Rose episode. Is that Laura Linney is the same way. We know so much God. about Laura Linney. Laura Linney for president. She fucking. <laughs> She killed that. She killed that role. Like that movie, I I admit is not very good. But Laura Linney in it, yeah, she I, just continues to prove herself. Like I said on that episode, <laughs> the acting is what makes that movie good. Yeah, between Tom Wilkinson, Laura Linney, and oh god, Jennifer Carpenter was that her name? Yes, okay. I believe so. Yes, Jennifer Carpenter. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Don't fucking at me. I don't fucking care. I'm like ninety percent sure you're right. IMDb though. exists, but I'm not looking it up right now because I'm in a flow. What I mean to say is the acting in that was really great and parts of the writing were really great. If that had just been a courtroom drama, I would have loved that movie. And if this had just been an investigative journalist movie, like if this had been Zodiac, yeah, so into it. yeah. But Zodiac doesn't pretend to be a horror film. Yeah. It's horrifying in certain moments and it uses horror tropes in certain moments, but it's not, it never built itself as being horror. Mm-hmm. David Fincher never said it was horror. And this is coming from someone who usually hates Fincher. Right, right. It's one of the successes of that movie. It's also an hour and a half too long, but whatever. So this is where I, I this is a this sort of hill that I always die on is like, or actually it's not even a hill I die on. It's a thing that I need to reconcile within myself and I can't figure out how, so I'm doing it on air. Mm-hmm. How do you justify genre switches in horror films, which are a staple of horror films and explorations of genre, which is good filmmaking or at least innovative filmmaking but have it all be under this umbrella of horror. Emily Rose is horror. Ring is horror. The Ring is horror. Those are all horror movies. I'm not taking them out of the big tent, right? Yeah, but I do it's get what you're saying. It's a whole reason to run saying. a whole show about horror, nah. I do get what you're saying because what because we've always said that our favorite thing is um, kind of that gothic idea where you've got something perfectly normal, but you kind of just switch the dial like one yeah. tick to the left. And that's and a genre fuck. It is. It is. But but I, I get what you're saying about that being kind of confusing because we like that. But I think it's a nuance. I think that's what it is, is when it it's just be, done, right? when it's just done so perfectly that as a viewer, you're not you have no question of whether this is a horror film or not. Um, this um, one is Bong close. Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, Bong Joon-ho is a good, is a good um, example. This one is close. It's definitely closer. It's really, really than, close. Than um, Exorcism of Emily Rose because I understood what you were saying with that where quite literally it was a courtroom drama and the only time that we got any horror was when someone was testifying. Yes. And we did a flashback. That was really it. So that one kind of felt, like we said on that episode, a little bit cheap and a little bit like the money monster. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. like something that was going to, that was very It's a cash corporate. grab. Yeah, cash grab. That's what I was looking for. 
Um, but this one, this one ha- definitely has more heart and again is like heartbreaking more than it is horrifying. Yeah. And I think but that's kind of a te- that's that could be a subgenre of like horrifying. Exactly. Yes. Heartbroken and horrified are not necessarily like an antithesis again and i can't i can't say shit here because all i do is try to write heartbreaking horror it's what i like writing and all of my horror like i my mom will read my horror stories occasionally Mm -hmm. like the shorts that i write Mm -hmm. and the last time i sent her one she told me to fuck myself because it was too (laughs) sad sad yeah yeah actually you read it on uh for one of our episodes i'm gonna plug myself here real quick but yeah go listen to go listen to it yeah no words in broad daylight yep um, and it's a very, very sad thing that's supposed to be horrifying. And I don't write things that aren't sad and horrifying, but I play with those tropes. Yeah. If you were to make a movie out of any of these, I'd be saying the same shit about my own work is what I want to try and say here. I'm not being like For inconsistent. Sure. I'm saying that like, yeah, I write very, very sad horror. For sure. And that's that's why, I mean, that's why we get into all of these different subgenres and we try to cover a lot of them because yeah. some are just so heartbreaking and horrifying. And then you've got Sleepaway Camp and yeah. Evil Dead <laughs> and, you know, the campy stuff. You've got Our Halloween. Romps, yeah. You've got, yeah. Yeah. You've got Tucker and Dale versus Evil, the more on the comedy side. You've got, you know, House of the Cabin Devil. in the Woods. You've got, yeah. House of the, you've, you, you've got all these different subgenres. So, so it's definitely a portion of horror because you can feel horrified and deeply upset about something and that just Absolutely. kind of intensifies it and I do think that this movie uses that um, extremely well I would agree with that I think yeah it's it's the heartbreaking nature of this film that, that brings the horror as much as mm-hmm. the actual horror elements of it the traditionally considered horror elements of it yeah so while most of the film is not a horror film, I'm happy with the parts that aren't. Like, they're good. Mm-hmm. They just feel... It's not even... Incongruous is not the right word. Like, they are not inconsistent or whatever. It's just that I wish it had been a little more horror and a little less investigative journalism. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I think that I, I think that's right. Um, yeah, because I think that's... And I, what I was getting at with my own work is that most of my work, the sadness is underneath mm-hmm. and comes out. In your work, the sadness is in the circumstance. Yeah. And, and then wh- horrifying things happen to these people who are in unfortunate circumstances already. Right. Which is, and, but the horror is the focus of it. Yeah. And a exactly. lot of that was the constraints I was writing under. Like when I was writing a lot for No Sleep, it was, mm-hmm. you have to have it be mostly horror. Mostly horror. Yeah. Which and is so, good. I yeah. Like, I like it in it that It taught direction. me a way to write this. And that's what I'm trying to say is not that my own work is better. I clearly haven't made, I mean, this is the most profitable horror movie ever in Japan. I believe it. They've made millions of dollars hand over fist. Mm-hmm. But I'm not trying to like say that like I'm better than this. I'm just trying to point out the like, this is what I'm looking for when I look for sad horror. Yeah. There's a reason I write the way that I do, and it's because it's what I want to see. And so when I see tragic horror that's mostly tragedy and a little bit horror, I'm like, ah, you got the ratio wrong, guys. Yeah, and we're not we're not here to blow smoke up every film's ass. We're here no. to talk about it and say like this is great, but how could it have been different or better? It's a beautifully shot movie. I don't have a I was lot to say go that. into There's, on shots. Yeah. Like we talked about the shots I wanted to talk about. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, we didn't talk about the shot when she finds Yuichi. Oh yeah yeah yeah. That one is shot in a really dope, uh, a really dope thirds shot mm-hmm. because she's been on the phone on the right hand side of the screen earlier in yeah. that scene, and then she comes in on the left side of the screen where Yoichi is sitting on the TV, and you don't see the TV. Yeah, you see him in front of it, 
and it's and the glow off of it on his face and that is a fucking great shot agreed agreed but i don't have again i don't have a lot to say about the cinematography other than like it's stunning mhm yeah but like I agree. in terms of like meaningful shots i don't there's not a lot that i haven't already mentioned yeah but yeah i really wanted to talk about like the yeah the history of this and all of that and like get into the genre-ness of it because mm-hmm. um actually a good friend of ours pete who has not been on the podcast but i work with is a huge movie buff as well mm-hmm. and he and i were talking about character study versus tone poem versus plot driven movies right yes and i was saying that like this is a great character study movie mm-hmm. the horror aspects need work but there's ways to do horror character studies well and in a good um a good test a testament to that is um, how much you feel for these characters. Yeah. And that's why it's so heartbreaking is that you automatically, you, um, they've earned your heartbreak for them. Yeah. Because you, you know their family, you know everything about them, you know, you know, some of the trials and tribulations they've been through already, you know, all Definitely. these things. And that, that is like... That's like, that's my shit. Like, that's, you know, that's uh, the one complaint I will often have with like horror films is like, I didn't care about any of these people. I'm pissed. (laughs) Like, oh, we've got you on. We've got you on wax saying that a thousand times. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's why I keep making the comment that this movie is so heartbreaking because they really allow you to care about these people. Yeah. And so my counterpoint to him was us. Yeah. Yeah. As in That's 2019, Jordan Peele's Us. Actually, Get Out, too. All mm-hmm. Both of those are character studies that you never don't feel horrified during. Yes, Except yes. for the parts where you're laughing, because he's also an amazing comedian. Yes. But he's a master of horror in that he gives you these character studies. And they're not, they're not a tone poem. They are truly like actors' films, character study films mm-hmm. that you could put into any genre and win a thousand Oscars for. But unfortunately, he was in horror, and so he won like none which is garbage. And Complete I think garbage. I also think that uh, Bong Joon-ho falls in this. I think he's really, really good yeah. at character studies because you know so much about every single one of his characters. There's no one who is unexplored. Yeah, especially... But you never don't feel the horror until you're laughing. Especially in The Host, I will say. Yeah. That one is also extremely... That one kind of has everything that you want. I know that everyone talks about Parasite, and I love Parasite, but with The Host... You've got, you've got heartbreak. You've got comedy, and mm-hmm. you've got horror. Obviously, that one is really has sort of like a nuance. Uh, is very nuanced. Um, yeah, it's his most genre bending movie. It's also it's, his most famous, and it's also it's I think cool. his best. I like Parasite's so fucking good, but like if I'm asking for a horror movie, mm-hmm. the host is so fucking good. It is really good. It I'd felt, watch it again right now. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. It's fucking raining in New York. I don't got shit else to do. Exactly. So the last couple things I want to do on this, we're mm-hmm. kind of running a little bit. We're not long yet, but we'll be long soon. So there's some fun little facts about this. Um, so I mentioned Sadako 3D earlier, right? Mm-hmm. When it was released in Japan, uh, the country apparently just had like this the, this really strange marketing campaign yeah for this across japan so there were hundreds of sadako's everywhere in tokyo Mm -hmm. just like hanging out and like there was a giant one driving around on top of a car like Mm -hmm. a sadako float as well as them just like on random street corners like iron man or the naked cowboy in times square right 
Not only that, she threw out the first pitch at a baseball game. What? <laughs> Which I'm just like, what? How? That's hilarious. <laughs> um, so on top of that, when it was, uh, here's another just like weird fun fact. So it was uh, released on VHS for the first time in England in 2001. And the back of the box was labeled with a disclaimer that said the distributor was not responsible for, quote, any injuries or fatalities that may occur during or after the viewing of this film. Okay. Or sorry, video cassette. Wow. Again, very meta. Yeah. So on top of that, Sadako herself is actually based deeply steeped in Japanese horror traditions. So she's what's called an onryo, mm-hmm. which is more or less a vengeful spirit. Um, they were often represented in like uh, kabuki theater and in traditional Japanese horror films from early. I mean, Jap- Japan was one of the first countries to make horror films. Mm-hmm. After the U.S., they were the ones who were like, and Germany, I guess, because you have the German expressionism with like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and all of that. So, but they were right on top of this. They were right there with them Mm -hmm. or us in in Germany making all these films. And one of the first things they did was adapt a lot of their traditional stories, which is what everybody did. Yeah. But they started depicting this character, which is called Nonryo. Uh, who is dressed in a white burial kimono, mm-hmm. like Sadako, mm-hmm. has white and indigo face paint, and long, unkempt, dark hair. Uh-huh. So there's... Um, I I have... I meant to look up the name of the documentary that I watched. It's really fucking cool. I watched it on Amazon forever ago. And you know what? Actually, I'm going to bleep that out because fuck Jeff Bezos. But I watched this documentary a while ago about the history of Japanese horror. That was super dope. And I learned so much. And I'll have to, I, I will try and find the title of it. It was months ago. So I don't even know if I still have it in like a watch history or something. I would love to something. watch it too. But it Sounds showed, yeah. So it showed the original ideas that inspired The Grudge and The Ring and uh, uh, Dark Water. And I love that. Yeah. But those are some really cool things. Mm-hmm. So. Sadako herself was played by a kabuki actress named uh, Rie Uno, or Unu, sorry. So Sadako, the character, was played by this sort of famous kabuki actor named Rie Uno, I think. Yeah. Oh, I actually, I I know that we we kind of already touched on shots, but um, I wanted to talk about when Sadako is running in one yeah. of the scenes, what they did was had... So they had the actress that played Sadako run backwards. And then they ran the film forwards to make it look kind of like this paranormal. Which is a tool that a lot of horror films have used. I like, mean, that's been in there since the beginning of horror. Well, since we could figure out how to reverse film. Well, it's like how um, in Twin Peaks, which we haven't talked about yeah. this yet. But in Twin Peaks, David Lynch had had the actors speak backwards like he wrote out the lines yeah. backwards and they spoke it that way and then he ran the audio back forward so that's why it sounds very like Meep. 
yeah. when it, whenever they're talking. And especially because it's pronounced phonetically backwards. So it sounds wrong coming out Exactly, forwards. exactly. So I, I thought that that was kind of just an interesting um, aside, but please continue. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That, I mean, that was mostly it. Is that like, it's awesome that that's the way they got her jerky movements and everything like that. Like mm-hmm. the super stilted way because they had her do it for every shot that she's in. Yeah. Not just the running in. They had, a, they had her do it for the running in the scene the flashback scene. Yes. But also when she's about to kill Ryuji, mm-hmm. they had her do all of that backwards. Yeah. Yeah. And then ran it forward. So that's why it's, it's all stilted and weird. It's it, it's a great mm-hmm. tool. I mean, I've used it before too because it's just so classic. It's so easy to do. It's a cheap way to get a sh- great shot. Yeah. Without having to do a whole lot of um, <laughs> like special choreography and bring in people. And yeah. Yeah. So... I think the last thing I really have to say about this is that it's super dope that this was based on an actual real story. Oh, for sure. Some like Japanese folklore. Real events, not folklore. folklore. There's a, oh. there's parts of it that are inspired by folklore, but there were real events that are referenced in this film. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So, Give it to me. We've talked about spiritualism on this podcast a lot. Yeah. So Japan also had their little moment with it in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. So... Around 1910, this assistant professor of psychology at Tokyo University named Tomokichi Fukurai started pursuing parapsychology experiments. Yeah. And the woman that he, one of the women he experimented on was named Shizuko Mifune. Mm -hmm. And the other one is Itsuko Nagao. Those were the, um, the two that we know the names of now in history. So Fukurai... Did all these experiments, and that's what we see in the flashback, is those were the experiments that they were doing. Mm. The public spectacle sort of stuff of, like, a bunch of people will write out a series of words and symbols and ideas, like, sort of abstract ideas was the, was the whole thing. It was, like, oh, write out an abstract concept. Yeah. Or a very specific note. Mm-hmm. And these women who have supposedly ESP will write it out. Mm. So... The idea is what they were what they were supposed to be doing was telepathically imprinting images on photo plates, right? Like those old silver plates that you used to uh, take, like silver nitrate plates that mm-hmm. you used to take photos on. The idea is that they could use their psychic powers to imprint the images that were being written onto the plates. Mm. Uh, and Dr. Fukurai called them nensha. So... Journalists found a bunch of irregularities um, and everybody's credibilities were attacked. And specifically, Ikuku Nagao was, it's suspected that her illness and death were caused by the constant attacks from the press. Okay. Uh, in 1913, Fukurai published a book called Clairvoyance and Thoughtography. Of course, this had no scientific approach and... Everybody around him, his colleagues, his university, uh, disparaged all of his work, and he resigned that same year. Obviously, that's parallel to what happens in the film. Mm-hmm. So this field was called photography. It's a branch of spiritualism. Um, it's also been called projected thermography, which is the one I think they use. Yeah, it's the one they use in the 2002 version of The Ring, mm-hmm. the American remake. Yeah. It's also been called psychic photography, which is the one I'd heard before. Yeah. Uh, Ningraphy and then, yeah, nensha is the Japanese word for it. But the idea is that you can burn images from your mind onto physical substances through psychic means. So since 1913, 
thoughtography has been like an, an English word for this. And that's what was the inspiration for this was those two women. So they took the name. She's the goal. Oh, I see. I see. Where from this one is of going. these women who was yeah. involved in this, these experiments in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, right? That's 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 an interesting um, bit of knowledge. I didn't yeah. I had no idea that this was Nice and freaky. Yeah, nice and freaky. We love yeah. it. We love it. <laughs> so the actual last thing I want to say about this is that mm-hmm. since last week we were talking about Pet Cemetery and its failures as an adaptation. Yes. I want to talk about the successes of this adaptation. Very briefly, it's not going to take me long and I, I think you're a part of this too, so it's not just me, it's us. <laughs> so I, I do want since we I'm going to cut that again. Since last week we were talking about Pet Cemetery and its failures as an adaptation. Yeah. This is a an adaptation of a book that came out about seven or eight years before it was was released, which is just like Pet Cemetery was. And so I want to talk about the successes of this. And I think it's not going to take that long. You and I can probably knock that out pretty quickly. Just to throw a little more, I want to throw some actual praise on this as an adaptation because I think that's one of my favorite things about it. Yeah, I actually didn't know that it was based on a book until yeah. I um, we saw the credits last night. Mm-hmm. I actually, I had no idea. Um, and I think that where this is um, is successful is it brought uh, the those words to life in a better way. And I think that even though it is a slow burn and a lot happens, um, I believe that it was the screenplay was adapted very well. And I would agree, yeah. The story it was clearly um, or it was most likely I have not read the book full full disclosure. Um, it was most likely re-storyboarded. As that's what it feels like. Just, I think that's exactly right. As opposed to just taking like a book who work that works really well on its own and really just redoing it to where it makes the most sense in movie form. Yeah, and I think that's something that we didn't say explicitly during our previous episodes about adaptations, mm-hmm. but it's something we should say now. I think that's the. I thank you so much for putting it that way. That's a great way of putting it. Love you. Thank you. You're amazing at this. (laughs) Is, yeah, re-storyboarding. I think you need to reevaluate what the beats of a story are Mm -hmm. when it comes to an adaptation. We've danced around it saying it that explicitly, but that's the thing I want to say about adaptations, where this succeeds so well. Yeah. It doesn't, nothing feels extraneous, you know? My issues with it as a movie are different from my issues as a, with it, with it as an adaptation. Mm -hmm. And that I basically don't have issues with it as an adaptation. I don't need any more story than we got. We got a we got lot it. of story yeah. for 95 <laughs> minutes. We got a lot of fucking story. It. Yeah. But none good. of it feels like it's sho- shoehorned in, yeah, right? I agree. It all feels like it's meant to be there mm-hmm. in a very movie sense, not sure. in a ticking off boxes, as I said in the Pet Cemetery episode, of pleasing the fanboys. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that was really where Pet Cemetery failed, I think. Yeah. Um, and this one. This one, yeah, it, it it felt like its own its own entity. It felt like it. Uh, the reason I I knew it or didn't know that it was a book beforehand was probably because I didn't I didn't suspect it. I it felt like a script, not a not a book. Exactly, and Pet Cemetery feels like you're just watching a book, which is not necessarily a good thing. No. Um. So yeah. I think that's most of what I had to say about it, but I think that that was just sort of something I wanted to express and get out. For on sure. The, it's a on the very episode. good adaptation of a, of a book. I am actually curious to maybe read the book. I would be too, because um, I think that the story itself, it, it's the same thing I said about Pet Cemetery. I think reading it would be a lot fucking scarier than exactly, watching it. Exactly. Um, Letting the mind wander and diving into these sorts of... Creating it yourself. Yeah. Creating the... Um, 
horrifying visuals because my horrifying visual is probably going to be way different than yours. Yeah. Um, and But they did a really great job of kind of making one that's pretty universally scary. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Even though that's something that we don't even have a we don't have a point of reference for a Sadako type character in the states. We don't. Other than seeing them in adaptations of Japanese horror. Yes, precisely. And I think that's really fucking dope. I think that's it's in- so interesting. They that's the last nice thing I'm going to say about this movie before we sign off is how fucking great is that character design? Just oh, yeah. again, iconic. It became it became such it, it inspired someone you know, in, you know, our Western culture to like uh, go and (laughs) go and make a full thing about it. Um, which still this one is better. The Japanese one is better. Um, but like, but yeah, it it clearly was a scary enough visual to get someone to take it and run with it. Yeah. Um, and it's still rated in Japan as the scariest Japanese movie of all time, which I completely disagree with. Again, grudge is scarier. I agree. Uh, uh, suicide pact, I think is what it was called in the translation. Maybe. Uh, then there's, uh, oh, uh, fucking, uh, the thing that Hunger Games ripped off. Battle Royale. Oh, yeah. Battle Royale is way freakier. Yeah. Not to mention all of the other Japanese films I've seen that have scared the ever-loving shit out of me. Yeah. But yeah, I think the design of Sadako is so iconic and so Mm -hmm. big that even I was watching uh, an episode of Community recently, one of their Halloween episodes. And I'm always, here's a quick aside, I'm always a fan of when a very hot actor chooses to do stuff that makes them not hot. Right. So Alison Brie dresses episodical. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, and the whole joke is that she's supposed to be a ring girl, and oh. one of them is dressed up as a boxer. Got it's it. like, I want you to be our ring girl. And she comes in and they actually used in the episode, because Dan Harmon's a fucking nerd, they used the same technique. They had Allison Brie walk backwards and then reverse the footage. Nice, nice. That's so it was a, a nice, touch. like, super dope reference. Yeah, I mean when you and get homage. when you get when you get a um a character in a horror film that's like an instant instantly iconic, like you've got Okay, so Sadako is right up there with Leatherface, Michael Myers, and Freddy Krueger with like the iconic look you can't mistake her for anything else exactly exactly so you've got you've got you've always got that going for you yeah and again like like you were saying about community how many people have dressed up as the four that i just mentioned yeah for halloween for you know like it's it's completely iconic i have a sweater that i bought that i did i just thought was like oh this looks cute and then everybody started calling me freddy krueger when i wore it it does look like it it, it's it's (laughs) almost exactly by accident (laughs) it's almost exact it's not my fault i'm colorblind it's true you might have thought it was a different color i thought it was red and black it looks exactly like (laughs) freddy krueger um but anyway, on that note, we're going to sign off real fast. Um, thank you for going on this ride with us. Um, you know where to find us on Instagram. We're at Horror Babes Podcast. Um, on Twitter, we are at Horror Babes Pod. And our website is always and always has been HorrorBabesPod.com. I'm Nicole. I'm going to get a burrito. Oh, I'm so hungry. I can't wait. And we're the Horror Babes. Till next time. Bye, Bye babes. babes.